This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Katianis will be with us shortly. He's going to tell us what's happening in Russia. It's really unprecedented. Vladimir Putin's got to be worried. And David Nelson will be here, co-chief investment officer and chief strategist, uh, chief strategist at Bell Point. I got to get to the bottom of what is going on with this uh, GameStop, and we're seeing with BlackBerry, and we're seeing it with these uh, all these other uh, Tootsie Roll, all these other investment strategies that are, the little guys are winning, the big guys are taking a bath, but they say ultimately the little guy will end up in tears. we got to discuss all this, what's happened over the weekend, and why the market's up 200 points right now. Meanwhile, I hope you had a great weekend, but now it's back to work through the snow. It doesn't matter. We have a lot to do. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Does it make sense to be killing jobs at a time when 18 million Americans are unemployed? So I definitely completely reject the framing of the question. When his opponent hears climate change, he thinks hoax. When Biden hears it, he thinks jobs. I love the Chris Wallace had his best yesterday pushing back against Jared Bernstein. Like you all, you, you, we were listening together. We could not believe what Joe Biden was doing in week one. EOs in energy. Never have I been seen so much incompetence and insincerity better displayed than the first 10 days of Biden's administration. What their attack on the energy sector means and how Republicans should worry less about infighting and more about energy fighting to win back the House and Senate. Number two. All teachers, pre-K through eight, must report. And those who do, not have, who do not report to work, we're going to have to take action. We can make compromises. This is something that can be solved. But, you know, we're, right now we're not, we're not seeing the compromises at the table that we would need. Uh, we're not. Is this unbelievable? Liberal Mayor Lori Lightfoot cannot get the teachers union to go back to work. COVID-19 cases decrease, hospitalizations decrease, deaths are down. Now the struggle to spread the vaccine and open up schools, sports, and businesses. Yet some teachers, like you just heard, still do not want to go back to the in-person learning. Number one. The issue is not, you know, bipartisanship. We're not. If Republicans want to work with us, they have better ideas on how to address those crises. That's great. But to be honest with you, I have not yet heard that. Yeah, you haven't even asked. Bipartisan President Biden for two weeks. He's been talk, all talk, no action on unifying America. That that changes today, perhaps. He will meet with GOP senators on the rescue plan, GOP style, and see if the $1.9 trillion will mess with the $600 billion they are offering. So I'm encouraged by this. I am. Because, you know, Joe Biden, the senator, was cutting deals. Vice president, he was cutting deals to the point where Harry Reid said, I don't want Joe Biden to work on the budget from the perspective of the administration. We can handle it because he gave in. 
Now, I was hoping to see that the first 10 days. I could not be more disappointed in what I've seen and what I saw and what I know. That is no cooperation. Then I hear $1.9 trillion with stuff like minimum wage in there and money for trains have nothing to do with the COVID virus. So I thought they just said, well, it's an emergency. Republicans are going to slow it down. They don't come up with a deal. So what Republicans did, 10 senators from uh, Susan Collins to Mitt Romney to Senator Campbell, um, they put together a proposal. And they said it's going to be about $600 billion, $160 billion for vaccine development. Who can't get on the same page as that? $4 billion to bolster behavioral and health science for substance abuse. Unfortunately, all of us understand that. $20 billion for schools. Additional round of targeted economic impact payments for families in need. A thousand bucks, not two thousand bucks. Keep in mind they just got a th- uh, they just got six hundred. Uh, income caps of fifty thousand for the individual, a hundred thousand for families. So if you haven't lost your job and haven't been economically impacted, he want the Republicans want to target it to those people. Susan Collins included. Extend enhanced federal unemployment benefits. Uh, and fund Biden's increased federal nutrition program, so the SNAP program, food stamps program, but focusing on kids. So they know there has to be money. They know that he's the president. They know that technically they have the majority in a 50-50 Senate. So Republicans are doing that. They get $600 billion. He's at $1.9 trillion. Now, we're a country that road tracks on overdraft for $4 trillion already. So it's not like it's there and Republicans want to hold it for a rainy day. It's not there. And people are worried about paying it back because we got a lot of variables. So the 10 senators Susan Collins led proposed a framework to, and guess what? About 8.50 last night, I saw a press release that said the White House has invited them up and they're going to come. See where it goes. There's plenty of room to negotiate. In life, you and I would negotiate this. I am not going to be doom and gloom. I'm not going to say this is not going to happen. If Biden turns around and says $1.9 trillion to hit the road, I'm going to be doom and gloom. But the problem is, I believe the Democrats have a Democrat problem. And here's why. Listen to Joe Manchin. When he saw the vice president basically say, hit the road, $1.9 trillion, And he, she said it in an interview with a local station in West Virginia. He's the West Virginia Democrat senator. He doesn't even know about this. He's been setting up bipartisan calls on the rescue plan. He's the one that got the $900 billion on track before Trump left office, remember. So listen to Joe Manchin. Cut four. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. No one called me. We're going to try to find a bipartisan pathway forward. I think we need to, but we need to work together. That's not a way of working together. Look, and you would expect a Republican to say that. That's Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, domestically, is as powerful as anyone in the country. And I think one of the first things you could do is say, hey, Bernie, you know, I heard your demand and I heard in the cold. I I just don't like this guy. And I, I hesitate on playing his sound bites because it ticks me off. I always want to play a little of Bernie Sanders. Cut three. Does your party have the votes to pass the relief package through the reconciliation process if you decide to go that route? Yeah, I believe that we do because it's hard for me to imagine any Democrat, uh, no matter what state uh, he or she may come from, who doesn't understand the need to go forward right now in an aggressive way to protect the working families uh, of this country. Okay. Uh, well, you got one. Cinema might be another. And because they want to do it together, because they don't want the next three and a half years to be hellacious, they thought, why not do something that we've already done? We've already negotiated four separate rescue packages. Why are you starting off with 40 executive action and executive orders, leaving Republicans behind, leaving 
tens of thousands of jobs ended on oil and gas and pipeline and the wall. And now you're going to do this? It's not necessary. And now you're in a big rush when you held on to a rescue package it didn't negotiate in July and August and September. Actually, October, too. So that's that's what's going on there. On the, on the uh, unions, it's unbelievable what's happening in Chicago. They are actually having a liberal versus liberal fight. This mayor... Who doesn't? Who who says she's for small town and for minorities and African Americans have it too bad for too long and Hispanics have been looked past? Well, because these schools have remained shut down and most of Illinois have been opened up with their schools and sports, but not in the city, which is already going through horrific times. And now she cannot get the unions to go back to school. Ventilation's fixed, transportation's handled, but still no. Cut twenty one. All teachers, pre K through eight must report and those do not ha- who do not report to work and i hate to even go there but we're going to have to take action yeah yeah and, and evidently if they don't come by a certain amount of time i don't know if the snow is going to uh you know uh have anything to do with that deadline because it's snowing pretty hard in the northeast in chicago they could handle it a lot better but we'll see so cedric richman who's now senior advisor to the president on reopening schools mr president you say, you say, what? Well, it's a priority to reopen schools. You know what the stats say. You know how these kids are suffering. You know the chances of them getting it, passing it, and surviving it are, uh, are min- minuscule. They're going to survive 99.9%. Cut 24. If you look at the CDC study, the CDC study that just came out said with the proper investments, with the proper spacing and class sizes, schools could reopen Uh, safely. But another key aspect of that CDC study is that they didn't test all the students and teachers. They just tested people who were symptomatic. And so, look, we want kids back in school, no doubt about it. But we want it to be safe for the students, the teachers, and the families of both students and teachers. Oh, my God. You got to be kidding me. Tell them to get back to school. We're all back in school. There are systems set up. It's not money-related. If it was money-related, they just said they walked us through some schools that said this is about ventilation and it's about manpower to monitor and enforce. We'll fix it. I mean, you would have you would have this, you would have states writing personal checks. Mike Bloomberg and these other billionaires would do it. Money is not the issue. Ventilation's not the issue. Spacing's not the issue. Security's not the issue. This is teachers who don't want to put themselves on the line and they're hiding behind the union or the union won't let them. Regardless, the bottom line is the kids that are being hurt the worst need it the most. And those are minority kids in, in challenging situations who are not sitting home with high-speed Internet, who probably at seven and eight years old aren't benefiting like the rest of the country either. So the other major, there's so many major stories, but what's happening in Russia, I just can't get my eyes off of. Uh, what's happening in this, uh, uh, the Sergei Navalny, how he was imprisoned. Uh, he knew he was going to be imprisoned after being poisoned and nearly killed. And because he's done that, it's totally out of control with protests. They arrested another, they arrested another 5,000. It doesn't matter. Vladimir Putin's videos of his palaces while the people starve everywhere. And believe me, it's shaking him to his core. Harry Katianis on that. And then we'll talk about what's happening with investments and the day trader and the 19-year-old that's outsmarting the 40-something billionaire, and they can't handle it. David Nelson on that. Brian Kilmeade Show. As you could hear, busy day. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You have probably five or six healthcare companies the last five years who have been, I would say, penetrated, exfiltrated, hacked by China. What's the likelihood you and I have been hacked by China? 110%. Personal data? Personal data. Current estimates are that 80% of American adults have had all their personally identifiable information stolen by the Communist Party of China. The concern is that the Chinese regime is taking all that information about us, what we eat, how we live, when we exercise and sleep, and then combining it with our DNA data. With information about heredity and environment, suddenly they know more about us than we know about ourselves. And bypassing doctors, China can target us with treatments and medicine we don't even know we need. Unbelievable. The 60 Minutes special last night, it was about almost all about China and what they're doing on every level uh, to try to stop us. We have to be aware of it and we have to compete against it, especially in terms of biotech uh, and knowing the next generation and DNA and genomes. Uh, we were leading the charge for a while. Are we still? Harry Katsianis, Center for National Business, joins us. Has a great uh, specialty and expertise in that area. Are you surprised about how comprehensive China's attack seems to be on us, Harry? No, Brian, not at all. In fact, the Chinese have been doing this for years in other industries. It's just they're applying their same tactics and strategies now to to business, biotech, you know, d- d- the DNA business. I mean, give you a quick example. The Chinese actually in the early 2010s and even earlier than that were actually targeting U.S. military defense contractors and literally stealing trillions of dollars of worth of blueprints, data, technical schematics. And it's no wonder that their new stealth fighters like the J-20, J-31, the things you could find online that they're testing look exactly like the F-35 and F-22, things that took trillions of dollars to develop. So they're basically using the same you know, industrial espionage policy and now applying it to, to biotech. And that's very concerning. And they have a between the hacking that they've done and the uh, their thirst for our DNA, what do you think they're up to? Well, I think that I think in very basic terms, it's all about making money. I mean, the, the Chinese understand 
you know, they're understood very early on that really data is the ultimate weapon of the 21st century. And to enable their companies to essentially weaponize that data to make as much money as they can, but get ahead in that biotech race. And they understand very, very well that targeted therapies based on DNA are the, the 21st century of medicine. I mean, give me an example. My wife has kidney failure issues, and she suffered from them for years. Her doctors have always told us that targeted DNA therapies that could come down the line, you know, five, 10 years from now, could be the best treatment option for her. Those treatments might come out of China, and they might come out of, you know, these nefarious practices. So I think we have to be concerned, and we have to make sure that U.S. companies don't get their data stolen, but also that, that American citizens you know, understand that, that China could be trying to target all of these different DNA therapies. And I, I, I think it's a huge problem. And I, I give 60 Minutes a lot of credit for bringing this up. Yeah, I know. It's uh, crazy because they actually are starting to understand that China started the virus. It's amazing how they came around to realize that it wasn't uh, Donald Trump's idea. Uh, let's uh, pivot over to Russia. I'm fascinated by Vladimir Putin's problems. So he was uh, riding high when he went and took Crimea back. Uh, they say back, uh, I think, from Ukraine. They were riding high and felt great pride as they went back to the Middle East to combine to save Assad. But now the average income is shrinking, and they're watching Vladimir Putin's fortune grow. Uh, this Navalny, he is relentless and he's fearless. He's now back and protests in the streets. Thousands arrested, and they keep coming back. How much trouble, if any, is Vladimir Putin in? Tremendous. And I think people really need to watch this space because Putin is in serious trouble. Brian, this has been building really since the, the Great Recession, when those huge oil profits that Vladimir Putin was using to rebuild the Russian military for all different types of social programs to essentially keep the Russian populace quiet, why he built up his authoritarian regime, have started to crumble. I mean, he was banking on oil being, you know, 80, 100, $120 a barrel. Those days are long gone. And now you have somebody like Navalny coming into this space who, who you absolutely right, is fearless, has been poisoned, continues to publish more information about, you know, the, the nefarious dealings of the Putin regime. I mean, there are reports out there, Brian, that Vladimir Putin is worth $70 billion, that he's up there with Jeff Bezos as one of the richest men in the world. And it all comes from the fact that he stole all of that money from the poor Russian people who live in poverty in many parts of the country that, are, that have huge addiction issues to alcohol. Their life expectancy is falling apart. Uh, this is a huge problem for Putin, and this is why he's cracking down so hard. The challenge is, though, once the genie is out of the bottle, as we've seen countless times throughout history, right. people want democracy. And I think I think Putin is going to crack down even harder, and this situation is going to get worse as time goes on. You know, on. so interesting, some of the translated uh, sound bites that I've been seeing from international coverage talks about this is getting to you like the Soviet Union. This is 1937 all over again. So they have, they have feelings. They have a sense of nostalgia for what they thought Gorbachev and Yeltsin were bringing them in all their drunk in, in old Yeltsin's drunkenness, they had a degree of freedom. 5,000 arrested in 85 cities. If you're Joe Biden, I hear the best strategy is to threaten to start to sanction individuals around Putin, and that would be the pressure. That would be the pressure that would get him out. Do you think he's willing to do that? Do you agree with that strategy? I think that's the absolute way to go. I think the more pressure, the better. I think this is actually something I think Donald Trump would have done if he had been president. He put more pressure on Russia than, than any president since Ronald Reagan during this. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Soviet Union. But will Biden cower? I, I think he will. I think he wants to have, you know, see this new START deal treaty continue on with the Russians, which is a horrible treaty in the first place. I think he's going to want to try to get along with, with Putin in some way. You know, everything that Donald Trump was essentially accused of. But you're absolutely right. But the more pressure we can put on this regime, it, it, you know, that could be the start of a new day for the Russian people where they do get that democracy that they were trying to get in 1991 that was stolen from them from Russian oligarchs, which Putin was part of. Navalny, they arrested his wife, 5,000 arrested over the week. Weekend, and he's going to be in court this week. Why don't they just kill him like they'd kill all the other people? Is there is there something preventing them from actually killing Navalny? One word, Brian, martyrdom. They do not want a martyr on their hands. I think they realize that in Navalny's death, he'll be more powerful than he ever was in life. So that the, the Russian strategy, I think, is to punish him, to try to break him, to try to get him to stop you know, releasing all these documents, releasing all the information of the Russian people of, you know, how terrible the Putin regime is, and hopefully that he'll just shut up. But I don't think that's going to happen. Harry Katsianis, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. David Nelson on what's happening in the stock market today, whether the little guy is winning for now, but maybe not in the long run. We'll talk about what's happening with Robin Hood. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's a rigged game. And it's been a set of players who come in and manipulate the markets. Time for the SEC to get off their duffs and do their jobs. That little bit of Elizabeth Warren, as there's going to be hearings this week about what's going on with Robinhood, what's going on with GameStop, and all these little guys, supposed little guys, that are giving the billionaires a run for their money. And what's going to happen today? So far, the market's up 206 points. They're back over 30,000. Uh, David Nelson with us, co-chief investment officer and chief strategist at Bell Point. David, what exactly, in layman's terms, can you say was historic that happened last week? Last week, I, I think, you know, some a very popular trade that had been short game stock, really a, an old line company selling a, a legacy product disks that have now moved to the cloud. Gamers now move in the cloud. They understood the, the short thesis was this is a company without a lot of future. However, young kids and a lot of people in social media recognize that so many people were shorting that stock, over 140% of the float, that everybody was tilted to one side of the boat. It was as easy as walking into a movie theater and yelling fire and starting a stampede, and that's exactly what happened. They've driven up the stock over the last several months some 5,000%. A lot of money's been made, and the question is, when and will they sell uh, to cash in those chips? So the question is, so what happened is the big guys would, would uh, were betting uh, they were shorting the market on these stocks. They thought these were loser stocks, and they were going to short and maxing out their profits. They didn't believe in them, that's safe to say. The other guys came in and said, okay, you're shorting the stocks. I'm going to raise that stock price. I'm going to cost you millions and billions in some cases. How did they do it? Well, they, they've been doing it by talking to each other and slapping each other on the back, making testimonials. Some have come out and said they're part of a movement. And they want to bring down these hedge funds and these short sellers. And this is a malign group. You know, we think of short sellers and hedge funds as the big bad guys of Wall Street. But it wasn't the SEC, Brian, that went out and found a fraudulent company like Enron. 
you know, it's short sellers and the hard analysts that did the hard work that found that. It's the short seller that goes out and finds the CEO is taking money out of the company. It's the short seller who finds the company with a product that could actually kill people. So they serve a purpose. So my concern isn't for hedge funds or GameStop, is that what happens to market structure if you force an entire industry to move away? Interesting, because, uh, for example, you look at GameStop and you look at Nokia, for example, you wouldn't think there's anything there or AM, uh, AMC, especially now when no one's going to movie theaters, that would attract the investor that said, I see potential in this. You know, it's not Netflix. It revamped their, their uh, business model and became Netflix, which we know of now. They used to deliver videotapes. So this is something in a way in which they are getting uh, – getting great joy and giving the billionaires a run for their money and costing billions. But in the long run, how do they get out of this alive? I'm not sure, because at some point you're faced with the prospect, how much is my desire to be part of a movement and keep these stocks floating? Eventually, all the short sellers will be gone. And then you're there with this you know, huge potential profit. What do you do? Do you hang on? Who's going to be the first to sell and how big would the avalanche be once, in fact, that starts to happen? Because you're sitting here with a stock that's way overvalued. It's more than just overvalued. Some of these companies do not have a future. Uh, in the company, a company like GameStop is not likely to make any money for the next couple of years. So it's not even a question of overvalued. It's beyond overvalued. So here are so how does Robinhood fit into this? Robinhood had to shut it down, and the analogy the, the CEO said from his apartment was when the pandemic first hit, Clorox and they ran out of Clorox and Lysol, both those major companies, because they never expected a pandemic to hit. They don't have enough money to suffice us. They said they had no choice but to shut it down. And today, on a limited basis, they're opening up the opportunity to buy GameStop, Cost Corporations, AMC Entertainment Holdings, Express Inc., Naked Brands, Genius Brands, BlackBerry, and Nokia. So where does Robinhood fit in this? This is that, no tr- this, is that this vehicle that does not charge fees. And and actually, they actually started a trend because Schwab, TD, and some other very large players also took took that route. Uh, For for Robinhood, it also becomes a part of market structure and integrity. Do your systems, are your systems capable of handling the mass volumes here and the amount of capital that has to be put out there to cover these trades? Because settlement doesn't happen for a couple of days. So there is capital at risk. So I I kind of understand it in that sense. And then there's the broader picture that Congress is going to have to look at. We've talked about social media. There's nothing social about social media anymore. Our Facebook pages, you can be assaulted on those. In Twitter and Reddit and others, uh, cancel culture has literally wiped out industries. It can wipe out a company. It can wipe out a career. And so here you have people talking, trying to drive up the price of a stock. You, if you or I have a conversation on a phone about manipulating the price of a stock, we're going to jail. True. I want you to hear what Senator Josh Hawley said last night, and then we'll bring Dave Portnoy on from last week. Cut 38. These day traders, these retail investors, they have been subjected to more criticism and more scrutiny by the Wall Street types than the people who single-handedly crashed the financial system in 2008 and then got bailed out by the government. So it is an incredible double standard. They have exposed that double standard. And it goes back to concentrated power, whether it's on Wall Street, whether it's with tech. uh, We need to go after it, and we need to let everyday folks have their share, have their power. That's what the Constitution says, we the people. So is Senator Hawley uh, siding with the little guy? Is he in the right? Is he on the right side in this one? Or does he have it wrong? It, it's a fair comment. 
look, uh, a lot went wrong during the financial crisis, and a lot of people walked away unscathed. And are there are there nefarious hedge fund traders out there who will drive down the price of a stock? You bet there are. And they should be prosecuted each and every time. But manipulation of the markets will cause people to pull away from the market. Even the hedge fund, who might be short of security, he's probably offsetting a long position that he holds. He might be managing money, money for a pension plan or even a municipal government. If he pulls away, not only is he going to dump his, his game stock short, he's likely to sell his Apple. And I think you saw a lot of that last week. Yeah, I want you to hear what Dave Portney told, uh, told us last week. I've been trading heavily since quarantine started, and I was shocked by this. Uh, I personally did invest in AMC and Nokia. Those are two of the stocks that the Reddit guys and the Wall Street Bets guys were pushing. I believed in the power of the Internet. When I saw what uh, Robin Hood was doing, ironically, Robin Hood take from, you know, take from the rich and give to the poor, even though they do the exact <laughs> opposite, I was stunned. Uh, I think it's criminal. I think there has to be an investigation. I think people have to go to jail. Whether that actually happens, I don't know. But I've never been more convinced about market manipulation and the people, the hedge funds, controlling the game than today. So do you side with Portney's analysis? Portnoy. Uh, I don't know if I, I side with them. I think all these people that you're playing for me all, all have some truth. There's always some truth out there in, in, every, in something that somebody says. However, there's a bigger, bigger picture here. And manipulation is, is manipulation. And we're looking at these as young, small traders. But you can bet that there are nefarious players out there tagging along. Look at the biggest shareholder list on there. It's not little guys. It's big guys. There's a lot of money going along with these bets. Even some of the largest hedge funds on the planet have come out and said, yeah, we were tagging along as well. So they're feeding the fuel on the, on the fire as well. We forget what the certificate of a stock represents. It represents your pro rata share of the dividends of that company now or in the future. Outside of that, the rest of it's just noise. So I'm, I'm talking with uh, David, Nelson, uh, David Nelson, co-chief investment officer at uh, Bellpoint. So, David, this is what I worry about. So you have Elizabeth Warren who just hates Wall Street, and you have everybody else looking to some side score political points. Rather than get to uh, a problem, addressing a problem if there is one, do you worry about this getting in front of Congress and both Republicans and Democrats blowing up, naively blowing up, something very important in the financial community that that think they're doing the right thing, but they just don't know enough to do a right thing. The history of, of Congress and government in terms of the financial community of overreacting each and every time is, is well understood. Look what happened during the Clinton administration. The banks went to, to Clinton and said, hey, we want to get in on this action that's happening on Wall Street, what the brokerage firms are doing. Hence, we got rid of Glass-Steagall. The disaster to that, that led to the financial crisis and, and the housing bubble. Then we overreact with something like Dodd-Frank. So designed to fix the financial crisis, we overdo that, it takes it too far, and we end up with unintended consequences, and the little guy couldn't get a loan. We're likely to make the same mistakes right here and try to overregulate this situation. Yeah, you just want people that do this for a living to be looking at it. You don't want people who say, I have an idea, I could side with the little guy, get more votes and get reelected. And that's what I worry about, the grandstanding, because you see it a lot with the big tech companies. Instead of getting to the heart of the problem, you have people asking questions that shows they don't understand it. Congress and any political hearing, when I watch a financial hearing on Congress, it's just political grandstanding. You're going to see this. This is a very, very popular 
topic right now. Everybody wants in on the action. They want their TV time. They want their radio time. They want to be able to talk about it and make some political points. And you said the key word here. It gets votes. It does. All right, uh, Dave, thanks so much. Best of luck. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you got you. it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. You've been holed up. You might be snowed in. I know you have a lot to say, so right around the bend, your calls. And I've been told I say the number too quick, so I will slow down. one 866 408 7669. If you want to write me, go to BrianKilme.com. I get your email. Just make them short, right to the point, so I might be able to say them on, on the air. And I will, it don't help, you don't have to be nice. And I think most of you know that. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need to know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're looking closely at this, and and we are going to look closely at the broader policy questions associated with uh, uh, with uh, the the equity markets but I, uh, the immediate uh, reaction is appropriately being uh, investigated and looked into by the SEC that has regulatory authority uh, over those issues. Our immediate focus is on putting a floor under this economic crisis, because if we're not able to take decisive action right now, the people who will struggle will be American families across the country and small businesses on Main Street. We've got to keep that as our focus in the immediate term. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But they're going to do an immediate... Uh, uh, hearing on this, and Elizabeth Warren will be front and center. Remember, she is uh, the biggest fear of Wall Streeters because they feel as though she just wants to destroy them and hand the money out to somebody else. They don't understand, in many cases, they're creating the money, the wealth, as well as with mutual funds. But we'll see. She was actually smiling at the prospect of having a chance to question them uh, over the weekend. We saw that. This was a great moment for her. one 408 7669 We talked a lot about that, but just real quick, I'd like to... Um, I would like to discuss a little bit more about what could be taking place this week. Joe Biden is going to have Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, I believe, is going to be going, too, if the snow can allow this. And at least 10 senators over there that are trying to negotiate some type of compromise saying, yeah, we need aid. We should understand, though, that before you give out aid, we haven't spent $1.8 trillion, and a lot of the stuff you have, you never explained to us what you needed for. When we asked you, you never got back to us. And that's pretty much what we got from Bill Campbell yesterday. And he's the doctor who understands the need, the hospitalizations. Cut nine. The president's team did not reach out to anybody in our group, either Democrat or Republican, when they fashioned their proposal. So if you want unity, if you want bipartisanship, you ought to start with a group that's shown it's willing to work together for a common solution. They did not. Yeah. So don't say, well, I'm not going to wait forever for the Republicans to get to the table. If you want Republicans to get to the table just to sign, that's not getting to the table. If you want to get there and negotiate and then say they wouldn't budge and you wouldn't budge, you're stuck at 1.9. But there's indications off for some of our reporters that they will come down on that, especially when you just threw stuff in there. There's nothing to do with the pandemic. And I have no problem if Joe Biden's playing the Trump game, which is a common game in business, and saying, yeah, I'm just going to go sign this without you. I'll do this. I'll do reconciliation. What happens is that shows that shows strength. And the other side might come in and be more willing to deal saying, you know what, at least I get a seat at the table, I get some of what I want, because he's going to sign without me. But when Joe Manchin steps up and says, 
I want to negotiate. This is not bipartisanship. I don't know why the vice president said what they said to a local West Virginia station. They lose that leverage. Here's a little bit more from Dr. Bill Cassidy. Cut 10. Ours is about $600 billion. And as opposed to the extraneous things, which Mr. Bernstein kind of tried to glide over, we are very targeted. We're targeted to the needs of the American people, treating our tax dollars as if there are tax dollars, not just money to spend, and putting it where we need to come out of the pandemic. Now, we think there's a lot here to work for, uh, to work with. We hope we finally start getting that bipartisan and with the White House negotiation. So far, we've not received it. So we have $160 billion. We match this figure when it comes to vaccination. To increase capacity to make more vaccine more quickly, as well as to adapt to these variants which are coming across. You know, the thing is, when you have Bill Cassidy in your office, you know, he's a doctor. Uh, you know, you, you have these guys. Uh, Congressman Wasserman, uh, Wyoming, when when you have them in the office, you just ask them, listen, what's going to take to get this vaccine out? What's it going to take to get these hospitalizations down? Uh, when you talk to your friends in the medical business, do they seem to have what they need? So you get a real-life perspective. They become a key member when you go into their area of expertise. And I think uh, uh, Senator Perdue was like that with the high-tech side and with the trade side. He would have been perfect. Everyone's got an expertise. That's why you get the committees you get. But I also think it's important that people come in and say, at least if you come out, if you're Joe Biden and you just ticked off the whole world, the right world, the Republican world and the independents by signing 541 executive orders just to undo Trump and irk Trump supporters. If you actually want to win them back and make it harder to despise you, come ahead and said, I was at one point nine trillion. The Republicans were at six hundred billion. This is where we met. I understood what they said. I hope this helps me get an immigration deal done next. It could be the beginning. Why not? We've tried everything else. doesn't really work. What really bothers me most of all is what's going on with these lockdowns. Do you know now they're realizing, let's open up Michigan, let's open up Washington State, some portions of it. Let's open up Los Angeles and New York in two weeks to indoor dining. Really? You're going to open up indoor dining. In Los Angeles' case, in Los Angeles County's case, California's case, they're going to make it outdoor dining, which might as well be indoors with that weather. And now they're saying, yeah, you can do it and you can open, but you can't only stay an hour and a half and you can't watch television because we don't want you lingering. The nature of an hour and a half is no lingering. Where these idiots come up with this stuff is just beyond me. No lingering, so we'll shut it down. Eric, listening in Florida. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian, your last caller uh, kind of opened my eyes a little bit more than they already were. Um, I have a pretty decent 401. I've been working on it my whole life, and I'm scared for it because uh, I don't think anything's going to be done. Hillary Clinton came out bashing all these hedge fund brokers. Meanwhile, her daughter married one. So I, I don't think that – I don't think Washington – because they're all in on it. Now, how much stock did Pelosi buy in Tesla? Now that we know that we're going to be going electric, I mean, she should be one of the people going to prison immediately. If that was a Republican congressperson, they'd already be – there'd be all kinds of censuring going on. And uh, to touch base on what you said about Biden, they, I thought he was going to give out $2,000 if everybody voted for him. Yeah. Your take on all of this, sir. Uh, well, listen, I, we can't give – we just gave out – uh, we just gave out money. We're about to do $2,000 again. He said, what about 1400 Republicans are wishing 1000 and they want it targeted. They want it targeted to people who lost jobs. You know, some of them were, dead, were giving it back because they, they realize it's not theirs. They, it's not where the money is supposed to go. They almost felt guilty that people are going to ask it back. In New York City alone, they have lost 
Uh, they had 318,000 jobs in New York City. Now it's down to 91,000 jobs. Rest of the rest of the state, rest of the country. I'm talking about the restaurant industry. You have 60 percent of all these businesses closed. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a sensational weekend. This is Brian Kilmeade coming to you from a very snowy, windy New York. We're about to get buried in two feet of snow. If you're in Chicago, you say, who cares? We do that every day. Minnesota, that's called Wednesday. But for us, it's new. Biggest storm in about 10 years. But we're also heard around the country, and we get calls from around the world. We're privileged to be here. We know this for sure. We're going to be joined uh, shortly by uh, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, and then at the bottom of the hour by... Uh, by Jim Gray. Uh, he is as tight with and respected, I guess, uh, every week during the football season for the past 15 years, maybe longer. He has been talking with Tom Brady. They've become very good friends. Tom Brady is the, one of the greatest stories that I'll, uh, we'll ever come across in our lifetime as he goes back to the Super Bowl at 43 years old to a team that rarely is over 500, hasn't been there in 13 years. So he's going to be joining us talking Super Bowl, the delay of the baseball season, and one year almost to the day since Kobe Bryant, a guy he knew quite well, was a good friend, uh, lost his life in that chopper crash. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Does it make sense to be killing jobs at a time when 18 million Americans are unemployed? So I definitely completely reject the framing of the question. When his opponent hears climate change, he thinks hoax. When Biden hears it, he thinks jobs. Yeah, but there are no jobs, Jared Bernstein, advisor to Biden. They're not jobs. You've taken them away and you talked in theory about jobs that may or may not be coming. The executive orders in energy. Never have I seen such incompetence and insincerity better displayed than the first 10 days of the Biden administration. What their attack on energy sector actually means and how Republicans should worry less about infighting and more about the energy fighting to win back the House and the Senate. Number two. All teachers, pre-K through eight, must report. And those who who do not report to work, we're going to have to take action. We're going to make compromises. This is something that can be solved. But, you know, right now we're not not seeing the compromises at the table that we would need. Unbelievable. This is liberal against liberal, Democrat against Democrat. COVID-19 cases decrease. Hospitalizations decrease. In Illinois, 71%, by the way. Deaths down. Now the struggle to spread the vaccine and open up sports and business, but most of all schools. Yet some teachers still don't want to get back in the classroom. Number one. The issue is not, you know, bipartisanship. We're not. If Republicans want to work with us, they have better ideas on how to address those crises. That's great. But to be honest with you, I have not yet heard that. Right. You don't listen. You haven't even talked to Joe Manchin. It's not on board. Bipartisan President Biden. For two weeks, you have been all talk and no action on unifying America. That changes today. He will meet with GOP senators, I believe, snow allowing on the rescue plan, on what they have crafted. And I think this could be the beginning of something. Uh, But maybe I'm naive. Uh, Michael Goodwin joins us now for the New York Post. Michael, first off, on first blush, you heard about this 10 senators recommended $600 billion instead of the $1.9 trillion. And then Senator Susan Collins and Joe Biden got together. She called the president and the president said, come on by. 
Do you think anything's going to come into this? Well, good morning, Brian. Um, it could be the start of a beautiful relationship, uh, as they said in uh, uh, Casablanca. But uh, that was uh, that was a whole different circumstance, of course. But look, I, I think this is a breakthrough, if only in the sense that the 10 Republicans um, have decided that there is some merit. And, and we know that the, there was a lot of support for many different elements of the uh, latest uh, rescue package. And so the fact that it got nowhere uh, was owing primarily to, don't forget, Nancy Pelosi last year uh, held it up for eight months for political purposes, no question about it, to try to hurt Trump and help Biden. Uh, and then there was something after the election that got signed. $900 so, billion. Yeah, so this idea now that we need another $1.9 trillion, and it included things like a $15 minimum wage and hundreds of billions of dollars to bail out the blue states. Those are the basic things that the Democrats wanted to achieve with this bill and that it cannot get through the Senate unless you use some kind of reconciliation so it's just a budget maneuver and therefore it would not need 60 votes. But if it's going to need 60 votes, uh, it's got to be bipartisan. And that's what I think the Republicans are trying to signal to Joe Biden. We want to work with you. We agree there are things we need to do right now, but we do not agree with this big monolithic 1.9 trillion throwing money at everything that's not related to the coronavirus. Let's keep it targeted. Right. And so I think it's a great idea. I, I'm happy to hear the president wants to meet with them, but the real test will come. Can they reach an agreement that basically is not just the 1.9 trillion? I mean, I hope the Republicans are. Well, that's not sincere. an agreement. Yeah, that's not an agreement. I think they, they're right. looking for 600, you know, somewhere in between. But here's exactly. the, the problem with the Democratic package: a $1,400 check to someone who's making seven. $75,000 a year and kept his job. Hundreds of billions of dollars already approved by Congress have not even been spent yet. There's money also for things that have nothing to do with COVID, like $20 billion for mass transit and this minimum wage. These large corporations are saying, yeah, let's do the minimum wage. It's not going to affect them. The large corporations can afford it. They should be paying it. They probably are. I'm worried about this. the business has already been slayed by ter terrible leadership and a horrible pandemic. They, they can't afford it. You know how many restaurants are going to be left if they with the, they're actually not even taking into account the gratuity wage. So if you pay $15 to a waiter or a waitress and a hostess, and then they get tips on top of that, and if they don't get tips, no one's going to want to work there, and then everybody else has got to get raises, you're just going to destroy the whole business. Well, and, and frankly, Brian, I believe that is, is some part of the motivation of these large corporations. They know that their smaller competitors, uh, if it's Amazon, for example, it's not so much restaurants as it is suppliers to Amazon the, uh, or competitors, a hardware store or yeah. a nursery, those sorts of things, Home a plant Depot. nursery. So, so they'd go out of business at $15 an hour for everybody. So Amazon sees a competitive advantage in forcing this to become federal law. I mean, the big corporations, 
It's a whole separate conversation. But what we are witnessing from big corporations in America today is appalling behavior. I mean, whether it's silencing uh, the uh, speech they don't like, trying to shut down competitors through the use of the federal government. I mean, it's really disgraceful what we're seeing from Amazon and Google and Microsoft and and Twitter uh, it, it, and Facebook. It's really, I think, turning a lot of people against these big corporations, left and right. I know, yeah. And like, to me, there's no way where Amazon was making so much money. Why don't they be an example and start raising the pay of these people who are working in slave-like conditions in many cases? Of course, you don't have to work there, but wouldn't it be great to reward people who are? Senator Joe Manchin could put a monkey wrench into this whole thing. Even though everyone says re- Democrats don't need Republicans, what if you lose a Democrat? Here's Senator Joe Manchin after he saw the vice president on a local West Virginia station. He knew nothing about this interview, saying that they don't need Republican votes. Cut four. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. No one called me. We're going to try to find a bipartisan pathway for it. I think we need to. But we need to work together. That's not a way of working together. Does that sound like a guy that's ready to cave? <laughs> Well, he's he's got his back up now because he's wanted to he's wanted to do some bipartisan things, and he has from time to time. In all fairness, he was responsible for the nine hundred billion. He made that call that got everybody right. together. Well, and, and also he voted for Brett Kavanaugh yeah. uh, on the Supreme Court. So he has crossed lines a number of important occasions, and, and he lives. Let's face it, he lives in a red state. He works he works for red voters primarily, and he's got to uh, find a way. And I, so I think he's properly positioned. I think he's tough enough to do it. But and I, he's clearly angry at Biden and Harris for for what she did uh, because she really doesn't believe in. Biden. Bipartisanship. I mean, in a way, what they're doing by taking it to his own backyard, they're trying to squeeze him from the left. And so he has a right to be angry, and they need him more than he needs them right now. Listen, you don't walk into West Virginia and try to get Joe, Joe Manchin from the left. And by the way, West Virginia, who has got this whole vaccine thing down, you watched, uh, you know, you see these specials now. Even the networks are picking up on it. With uh, the way West Virginia went ahead, they decided to use their own local pharmacies. Everyone's there, uh, 65 and up will be vaccinated if they just get more vaccines in. And they love, people love to put down West Virginia. And uh, they've risen to the challenge over there. And in a very spread out area, you got to go to people instead of getting them to come to you. So I have great respect for what's going on there. The other story that no one's talking about is this is a pretty good time for the pandemic for America. We are go- we are decreasing right now in overall numbers. Cases are down 40 percent in the last uh, 30 uh, uh over the last, excuse me, uh, since October, and over the last two weeks, 33%. Hospitalizations down tw- uh, 24% over the last two weeks. Deaths are down 5%. That's a lagging indicator. In Iowa, they have cases are down 70%. Illinois, 50 California's 27 S- South Dakota, they like jumping on Christy Nome, who never shut anything down. It's down 75%. New York, just 9%. So 100, where hospitalizations are down under 100,000, which we can deal with. So the numbers are going down for now. The vaccine, we got to get better at getting out. And we need more vaccine. But as we start doing this, it's time to stand up these businesses. What is your take on New York opening up indoor dining on the 14th on a Sunday and refusing to lift the curfew on Super Bowl Sunday, meaning everyone's going to stay at home? 
Well, and the indoor dining is only 25% oh. of capacity. Uh, you know, Brian, uh, as you're talking about the declining number of, of cases, hospitalizations, et cetera, I think we have to factor in the vaccine. Uh, I mean, the vaccine, it, well, how many millions of Americans have already received it, the first dose, and some have received their second dose? It, it boggles the mind to think that it is not having an impact uh, already in terms of the number of people who are testing positive. Let alone the people uh, that got it and survived and have the antibodies. That's right. So, so I think there is, there is this sense that we are maybe turning that corner that President Trump always talked about. But, but I, I, I'm not alone, but I think of it as the Trump vaccine, that he's, the president's gone from office, but that vaccine, rushing it out the way he got it done, has had an impact now on the number of cases. Now, you mentioned New York. Uh, everything in New York is screwed up. I mean, the, the shutdown Lockdowns are, are obsessive. They are, they are anti-science. Uh, by the way, the New York Times has an amazing story today on Andrew Cuomo. At least nine members of the state health department have quit to protest his, his decision-making and the way that he just doesn't listen to anybody. He doesn't trust anybody. Uh, and he said, I don't trust he the said experts. It. He yeah, said it. I don't trust the experts. Imagine that. Imagine if Donald Trump said that, right? Uh, but but the, but the second thing is, even with the vaccine, New York has screwed up. New York has been slow to get it done. And then they eventually used what they said was all that the Fed sent. But nobody trusts a word, Andrew Cuomo says, or, or what the mayor, Bill de Blasio, says. But I do believe that if, if the vaccine works as, as it's supposed to, and if we can get it out, I think we may be seen a permanent decline in the cases, and then you can adjust your, your uh, restrictions. You, you can gradually move them forward, knowing that more and more people every day will get vaccinated. And as you, you approach that herd immunity in the 70, 75, 80 percent, you can have full confidence. We're not there yet, but, we, but I feel like if we can just get the vaccine distribution uh, fixed, and if we can then begin to sensibly yeah. reopen in some of these states, for example, sensible, right? California, you can open outdoor dining, but you can't have a TV on. I mean, what, what is that? Where do they idiots. come up with these ideas? They're just idiots. Uh, it's that kind of insanity that infuriates people and says government doesn't know what it's doing. But, Michael, you know, you know what? what's also They're terrible? Right. This curfew, you think it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. They're dropping checks at 930. That means they're missing a whole seating. That means they're rushing people through. That means you got to go out by six o'clock if you want to get in there. So you're and you have no extra shift for your wait staff, and people yeah. can't have sit around and have an appetizer and a drink late night. This right. just cutting just cutting people's knees out. Final thought. Well, and, and, and and what is it that the virus uh, the virus only comes out at nine thirty? It's not there at nine o'clock. It's not there at ten. I mean, it's insane. It's not science. It's just it's just autocratic decision making. Uh, Michael, yeah, and great column on, on Cuomo. Stay on him. Uh, he cannot be allowed to slide. He is a joke. He has hurt more people. His arrogance is everything you don't want your kids to be and your boss, the attributes you don't want your boss to have. And I hear he's a bully behind the scenes, and he gets a pass on everything, and he might even try for a fourth term, and it would be stunning if New York would even consider him. Uh, thanks. Right. Go ahead. 
Well, I say he's definitely running for a fourth term. He has to he has to have one more term than his father. Right. Uh, that that's his mo at this point. He he really wants to be president. He's not going to be president. So he's stuck in Albany. He hates Albany, uh, but he has no choice now. So yes, it's it's he screwed up a, a career. He really did, and his personality I think has been revealed, which would be fine if it were successful. But the failure is what marks him now. The failure on the nursing home the failure on the distribution of the vaccine. I mean, this is now the defining right. uh, events of his career. But Robert De Niro likes him, so that's, that's enough. Oh, well, that's enough. Yeah. Hollywood, yeah, yeah, Hollywood. Because he gives him giant tax breaks. <laughs> Michael Goodwin, thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. Uh, listen, we come back to your calls, one 408 7669 Then the great Jim Gray, arguably, um, he has his book out. It's fantastic, called Talking to Goats. Arguably the most respected sports reporter in the country who will bring us inside the Super Bowl in just a moment. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. According to a new report, 2020 was one of the deadliest years for shark attacks with 10 reported fatalities. Adorable, said Bats. <sighs> sort of funny, come on. Right. Quick, to the point, but when I watched SNL, I thought to myself, and this is how naive I am, I thought, this is going to be the week that I'm going to have to talk about Joe Biden. I mean, for example... Um, all the executive orders, they could make it extreme. Remember when Newt Gingrich took over the speakership and was um, he uh, banged in a whole bunch of uh, uh, legislation with this new deal. And I think it was Chris Farley who came out and mocked uh, Newt Gingrich. And Newt Gingrich had Chris Farley out to the Senate. This video exists. And he pretended to be Newt Gingrich and said, good, good, just hand it to me next, next, next conservative agenda. I thought to myself, they're going to have to say at least maybe even if they want to make Joe Biden look good. They totally skipped over it. They talked about the insurrection, so-called insurrection, talked about Donald Trump, talked about all the people that went there, the Viking man. They didn't even touch Joe Biden. How could that be? I agree with you. But, I mean, it's going to – how much longer can they go and not touch this? I mean, okay, they'll have the impeachment stuff next week. Next week, next year, the impeachment. And then who knows from there. But they're also trying to make, you know, Congressman Green, like, the new Trump. Like, they're having her everywhere as, you know, the end-all, be-all, you are the worst human being in the world. I mean, it was the cold open was featuring her, you know, a right. character playing her. They're, right. they're stretching. And they're, Well, you just – but it is like CNN, only their attempt at comedy because they take the top stories of CNN and MSNBC and then they find what they think is a comedy on them. What I think is also uh, bothersome is you lost every late-night television show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Fallon is couldn't – he's falling like a rock and he's, he's, he's way to the left too. And then, of course, Stephen Colbert made his name beating up on Trump. And Kimmel, n- enough said. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brady throws, end zone. He's got Evans for the touchdown. Brady goes for the deep shot. He's got a touchdown. Scotty Miller. Picked up by his teammate, Devin White, back of the end zone. Touchdown breaks. And that is uh, part of the reason why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl. First time since John Gruden was their coach. So a long time since they made the playoffs. And at 43 years old, Tom Brady turned it on when he had to like he always has done. Uh, and it surprised many people around the country. Maybe not my next guest, Jim Gray, sportscaster extraordinaire, author of Talking to Goats. The special can still be seen on Fox Nation, uh, which just really chronicles the greatest moments in sports with Jim Gray. Happened just to, to be there and did a great job covering. One of which is a, a weekly interviews with Tom Brady for Westwood One. Uh, Jim, welcome back. Brian, good to talk to you. Hope so are you, well on Monday. Now, if I talk to you, and I may have, in August, and I said, where are the Buccaneers going to do this year without any training camp, uh, without any even OTAs to get ready for a season when they're welcoming a 43-year-old quarterback and a, uh, and a one-year-out-of-football tight end named Ron Gorkowski, Rob Gorkowski, what would you have told me you expected from Brady this year? Well, I would just expect him to, to be great. I mean, he's, he's been to basically every other Super Bowl, almost 50% since he's been in the National Football League. This will be his 10th Super Bowl in 21 seasons. So you would expect that he would be well prepared. He, he stays in shape. He hasn't attended the OTAs for the Patriots for the past several years, uh, and they won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago and, and have been in the Super Bowl regularly uh, uh, in the latter part of his career. So, you know, you would have expected that they would be a playoff team. You can't say that you would expect any team to be in the Super Bowl. Okay, it's just that hard. I mean, it's a vicious struggle, Al Davis used to say, to be number one. One team wins and the other 31 are looking for answers. So to sit here and predict in August that a team will be in the Super Bowl, it's, it's fool's gold. You would think the Kansas City Chiefs would have a good, good opportunity to repeat. You would think that Tom Brady with a new team would take a little while to get together, which they did. They were 7-5, and five, you know, just a month and a half ago, a couple of months ago, and, uh, you know, they were on – you know, a circumstance where it looked like they were struggling, and then they've run the table since then. So I, I would not have predicted a Super Bowl, but I would have predicted that he would have played great uh, and that the team would come together and that they would be in the playoffs. First 20 years with the New England Patriots, 18 of which I believe he was uh, the starter, and we know what he's done in the, in the game. Uh, people like to speculate on the outside uh, how much this means to him because people always wonder about who's the most important, Brady or Belichick. So for a year... Where, where Bill Belichick doesn't make the playoffs and Tom Brady gets to the Super Bowl, does this mean as much to him as the outsiders seem to think it means to him? Well, I think it means a lot to him because every year he competes, he wants to win a Super Bowl. He's not just going out there, you know, A, he loves the game as well as his family. Those are the two loves in his life. But he's not going out there just to play. He wants to win, and he wants to win every week, and he wants to win every Super Bowl or at least attempt So uh, it would obviously mean a lot to him, but I don't think it means a lot to him in terms of trying to show the Patriots anything. Uh, He had a great career with the Patriots. He's happy with the time that he put in there. He left grateful 
uh, for that opportunity. He came there as no one. He left as the most revered quarterback in the history of the National Football League, if not perhaps the most revered player in the history of the game. So it just ended. Uh, Time was up. Uh, Would he like to show them that he could still play and, and that they made a mistake? Yes, but that's not what's fueling this. What's fueling this is his teammates and a new opportunity and to go do this with a group of guys who haven't done it before with the exception uh, of Gronkowski, uh, who's been with him. So I, I don't put any stock into any of that, that he's motivated because Bill Belichick didn't want to give him a contract or because Robert Kraft decided that, uh, you know, uh, this wasn't what, what it was for the past 20 years. Um, so, no, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think he looks back with tremendous fondness of what went on in New England, and he's just moved on, and now he wants to win it with uh, the guys that he was, is with down there, with with Miller and with Antonio Brown. Yeah. Uh, with with Godwin and Evans and uh, all the guys on defense, and to do this in a COVID year at his age would would just be a spectacular feat. It's unbelievable. I mean, this is the easiest game or sporting event to sell outside boxing, which you know the, these championship fights are in a league of their own. I think, but this is the easiest Super Bowl to sell, and everyone watches Super Bowl anyway. Here's Brady talking about his playoff journey to get here. Cut forty seven. Three consecutive wins on the road. And when we spoke this week, you talk about how difficult this game is, the game to get to the Super Bowl, in particular on the road. How were you guys tested today at Lambeau? Well, it's a great football team. They've been playing well all season. And, uh, you know, to come beat them at home, there were 9,000 fans. It felt like a little more than 9,000. But uh, just great to get another road win. And now we got a home game. Who would ever thought, you know, a home Super Bowl for us? But we did it. So it's just, I mean, three road wins in a, with a team with not a history of getting to the playoffs. Uh, people like to make a big deal of the fact that they didn't change the offense to make it more like the Patriots' offense. Is that a, that big of a deal that I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Bucks? Well, I think as time went on, you know, they, they did things that Tom was more comfortable with. Uh, obviously, he's completed more passes uh, of over 20 yards than I think anybody else in the league. Uh, this year, so they they have had Bruce Arians' offense and Brian Lefkowitz, and and he's been quite comfortable uh, with what it is that they have brought to the table, and they have augmented what he brings to the table. So it's not just uh, you know there's been there's been a a great mix here that has gone on, particularly uh, during this winning streak and in the playoffs. When you consider that they went on the road and beat Washington, then they went and beat New Orleans with Drew Brees, and then they went into Lambeau Field in the snow and they play in 85 degrees every week. It's going to be 70-something, 78 degrees, and then they beat Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's just phenomenal what has gone on. But they have weapons there, and the weapons that they have, I mean, Brady couldn't do this when he was in New England because he didn't have the people who could catch the ball who were, who, who were experienced enough or, or adept enough uh, to be able to do what these guys on offense are able to do in Tampa. So they say that, you know, he's adapted to a new system, well, he's also adapted to players who can play, players who, who, who are of the caliber uh, to give him this opportunity. So that's not a knock against New England. New England won six Super Bowls with Tom there. Uh, but in recent years, there just hasn't been uh, those type of players. After you got past uh, Julian Edelman uh, and Gronk, you know, it was pretty thin there at the wide receiver position. Uh, Danny Amendola was a great, great player, but he left uh, after the Super Bowl. Uh, he left after the Super Bowl and uh, went on and played in Detroit and so forth in Miami. So uh, the cupboard is not bare in Tampa Bay. The cupboard is full. 
Uh, Jim Gray with us now. His book, Talking to Goats, is excellent. Um, I've actually, my son read it, uh, got, put, got back. He worked for the Jaguars this year. got back because I read that book. I go, when you pick it up, I go, I know. He goes, Dad, I picked it up. I could not put it down until I was done because you gave a perspective on, on the biggest events in sports from a way we haven't seen before, which could be seen on Fox Nation. It's a whole special, no commercials. But, Jim, I, I want to bring you to, to something else, and that's your relationship with Antonio Brown. He's got all this talent, but he's had so many emotional problems. What was it about him that made Tom Brady say, I need you to add him, and he can live with me for a while? Well, I think that Antonio Brown, you know, has obviously had a lot of things that he has done that, uh, you know, have been very disturbing. And uh, But I think with Tom, Tom saw him as a player and saw him as a man and wanted to see him get another opportunity. In many ways, the guy is, you know, he's just incredible on the field when you can keep him on the field and keep his attention uh, glued to what to what's in front of him. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a Jerry Rice type of instinct in that guy. Uh, he has that type of talent. And, uh, you know, right now he's hurt with the knee, uh, unknown whether or not he'll be able to be effective in the Super Bowl. But I think what, what Tom saw was a talent. And for whatever reason, uh, Antonio has gravitated toward Tom and has, you know, come in and, and, and done his job. The old Belichick uh, mantra, do your job, just do your job, and forget about all this other stuff that's gone on uh, away from the field. So, you know, I, I think that that's what, the, uh, that's what the attraction has been, is if this guy can just show up and do his work, he's phenomenal. And he's proven it on the field this year. You know, he's been, he was, you know, in recent weeks, uh, you know, the leading receiver, and it, and it, really started to blossom once again. And uh, uh, so if he can play on Super Bowl Sunday, you know, it would be a tremendous addition. And uh, they seem to have a great camaraderie between the two of them. And now to kick you, the, the real trick is going to be preparing but not getting the virus. I hear they're testing twice a day to make sure these guys stay clean and isolating them like never before. I mean, the old 1970s Raiders never could have survived. Uh, they used to go out every night, uh, reportedly, especially before the Super Bowl. But for now, these guys made it through the season. They deserve great respect. So does the league for doing this. And they've had their problems, but they fought, they went through it. We had Wednesday night football or Tuesday night football just to get it done. So having gotten through that, it's a pretty amazing feat. Basketball in a bubble show they can pull it off. Big sacrifice. Now they're trying to do it again. I want to go to something else. Last time you were on regularly was uh, the tragedy of Kobe Bryant's death, and we hit the pandemic, and and it kind of went to the back page for a while. But in retrospect, we're still not over that. He hit people uh, in and out of sports, especially the story with his daughter. Can you have a greater perspective on his life now? You know, you say we haven't gotten over it, and and there still is just this huge hole in everybody's heart, yep. and uh, for his family, obviously. And you knew him. Never, never, absolutely. Um, I watched a video yesterday for 15 minutes of uh, Kobe. Um, it was on YouTube, and it was one of that uh, was uh, uh, obviously edited and put together. But it was just talking about what it takes to be better every day, what it takes to to be great, and what it takes to improve, whether it's in your own life or whether it was him as a basketball player. And just to to listen to his voice and to hear his thoughts and to, uh, you know, uh, just be able to take in the brilliance and the genius um, and and the care that he had. He he was a really caring guy. He cared a great deal uh, about being the best that he could be and and then trying to spread that uh, not only 
you know, in the way that he approached it in, in basketball, but then after basketball and storytelling and obviously with the his girls, the, the four girls and, and, and Vanessa. And there was just so much that he had to give and so much that we all could learn from him. And now we have to learn from him uh, through his videotapes and through what he has left behind for good for future generations. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a, a, a tough day. Uh, they've all been kind of tough days when you think about Kobe. Uh, back on uh, January 26th, uh, Vanessa released uh, a statement and uh, um, her words on Instagram, and she said, "You know, let's try and celebrate what it was that his life was, and uh, let's use that to to try and become better, as opposed to you know having your having your eyes fill with tears uh, that he's no longer with us." So. Uh, it's a tough task to do that. Uh, I believe it was Dr. Seuss uh, who said, you know, one day we'll be able to smile because we had him instead of cry because he's not here anymore. And it still hurts, Brian. It's still a, it's still a tough deal. There's he, no he question. Had such an impact. And uh, if he was your friend, boy, was he loyal. And boy, did he go out of his way. And he also had thousands and thousands of acts of kindness. And we talked about that on Fox and Friends uh, the day after he died. Uh, he helped so many people and wanted zero recognition or acknowledgement. Uh, he wasn't looking for for you know any medal for it. Uh, he just went out of his way, and you could see uh, how much he had he had grown and the person that he had become. And he had left basketball uh, in the rearview mirror, uh, but he was still very involved, very involved with it uh, in in with women's basketball and the hashtag girl dad. Uh, which really became prevalent uh, after his death. Uh, I just speak speaks volume to to the man he was. A great point, great perspective. The other thing is, is also to outline what you just said. One of his last texts, if not his last one, was to Shaquille O'Neal's son in college to kind of in, inspire him with just touching base with him. You don't have to do stuff like that. Well, and I think that uh, you know that 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 has caused the Shaq to to reflect in a different way as well. Obviously, they were one of the great duos and tandems in the history of basketball. Uh, but they weren't friends or friendly. But they had reached a detente where they had come to a place where they had accepted one another, and they were at peace with one another. And uh, so I think that uh, Shaq has a uh, you know a, a tremendous amount of affinity now for for uh, Kobe, uh, not only for what they accomplished, but because he had been in touch with his son. And because they were able to, to a certain degree, to be able to move on from from the acrimony that that had existed, and 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 had learned to uh, you know live with one another and reflect upon just how great they had been together. And on a much 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 lighter note, you're going to be able to eat outdoors. What's that like? <laughs> well, it's 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 uh, you know our way of life has just been so so different. Uh, with the COVID and, and all the people who've lost their lives and the people who've gotten so sick and the economic devastation, um, it's just uh, it's just transformed everything. So uh, we're hoping that the vaccinations and the rollout of that uh, are successful and that people are using the social distancing and the masks and uh, getting, getting ahead of this thing. And uh, hopefully uh, with the reopening now here in California, that people will continue to uh, be judicious and uh, be able to get back to work and hopefully back to school and, 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 and that the vaccines will work. Yeah, Jim Gray, your cases are down 27% in California, but you're allowed to go out to eat, but you just can't watch television while you eat. So it's so weird. Uh, Jim, thanks so much. Uh, I look forward to the Super Bowl like like few others. Uh, Jim Gray, uh, the book is called Talking to Goats. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Where are you coming from, Lee? Uh, New York City. <gasps> New York City. Well, welcome. Good to see a fellow blue stater. We're just like y'all. I mean, I, I don't know if you're just like us. Oh, no, you bet we are. See, George is all blue now. Maybe you heard about our election on the news. I'm Crystal. She, ma'am. And over there is old Biscuit. He, him. Hey, uh, before we eat, uh, I should wash my hands. You know where the men's room is? <laughs> yeah, it's back in 2015. <laughs> we don't have a men's room. But the alt-gender restrooms is just down the way. Oh, you guys have a alt-gender restroom? Uh-oh, Sheriff. I think your cousin thinks we're all crazy Christian types. Oh, no, no, no. I, I never said that. And even if you are, it's fine. I mean, I'm Jewish. Hold on. You're Jewish? Uh, yeah. Well, I hope you know what we do to Jewish folks down here in Georgia. We elect them! <laughs> So they were just saying it's all blue Georgia now, and that was a big market. It went nowhere. It went nowhere. Like, there are some funny lines, but I actually just, it felt insulting to me. Yeah. Like, and, and I hate to be like, oh, oh it's it comedy. It, yeah, it was so I know. condescending. You, you, I, I get it. You should have a target. But if you, all you do is if you target the other side, the ridiculousness of some of the things that you're demanding, it's comedy in its explanation. The setup is the explanation. So sometimes you could just say it and say, do you believe where we're at right now? And people would laugh. So I don't know. You'll go back and you'll see Johnny Carson was personal friends with the Reagans. He used to mock Reagan's intellect that he forgot everything. Yet they go out to dinner at night. You think that was easy for him? And, and you know, uh, Jimmy Carter being uh, wearing the malaise, he mocked him constantly. In fact, I don't think people would even know if Johnny Carson in the middle of Hollywood, personified Hollywood, was a Republican or Democrat or not. Even it wasn't clear that Letterman was until the last 10 years, until he started making fun of John McCain's age. Remember that? Nothing but John McCain age jokes. I thought to myself, it's not even funny. He's just trying to damage him. No, 100 percent. I mean, that's why Leno was also refreshing because he would hit both sides. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I don't think people uh, care about this stuff. And I think SNL's ratings are not terrible. And I think people are looking for something. But I'm telling you, I, the more people I talk to, go, yeah, I won't even, I won't even watch that anymore. And why try? Like, why? What business model says alienate 75 million people? Why not? It's been working. Yeah, you can always work better. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thank Kilmeade. you much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be an exciting hour. We're going to talk about compromise on Capitol Hill with conservative commentator and political strategist Adam Goodman and Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, too. So we're going to bring you inside Washington, which is filled with snowy at Washington. But it's kind of exciting because we might have a deal, or at least the framework of a deal, ready to be cut. We'll see how that goes. one 408 
7669. We're also going to look at the uh, the death toll uh, is going down. The number of cases is going down. Uh, the number of hospitalizations is going down. And the vaccine, we're doing a little bit better. We just need to make more of it. And Johnson & Johnson could be coming online. Not many people want to talk about the pandemic getting on the other side of it. We'll bring you some experts who believe it. Uh, so let's get – and by the way, I'm going to be out on now numbered on Fox News Channel in less than an hour. So if you haven't seen me, I bet you only have to wait 53 more minutes. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Does it make sense to be killing jobs at a time when 18 million Americans are unemployed? So I definitely completely reject the framing of the question. When his opponent hears climate change, he thinks hoax. When Biden hears it, he thinks jobs. Uh, let me just tell you, he, he gave away, Joe Biden, 15,000 minimum union jobs, pipeline jobs. 7,000 minimum building the wall. Not drilling on government federal land, no new leases, tens of thousands unquantifiable. That is what he did by signing his name. Jared Bernstein, you are wrong. The EOs and energy and the damage being done. The Republicans got to stop fighting with each other and take on real issues like that. Number two. All teachers, pre-K through eight, must report. And those who do not report to work, we're going to have to take action. We're going to make compromises. This is something that can be solved. But, you know, we're, right now we're not, we're not seeing the compromises at the table that we would need. COVID-19 cases decrease, hospitalizations as well. But now we got to get kids back to sports and business and back to school. But there's no dealing with the Chicago Union. Even the radical liberal mayor cannot get them to go to work. What is going on? Do you understand kids are suffering, most of which, and for the most part, are minority kids who need it most? Number one. The issue is not you know, bipartisanship, we're not. If Republicans want to work with us, they have better ideas on how to address those crises, that's great. But to be honest with you, I have not yet heard that. Yeah, you haven't listened, you haven't asked. Bipartisan President Biden for two weeks has been all talk and absolutely nothing but uh, executive action. He's not unifying the nation. But that changes today. Ten senators wrote up their plan for stimulus, a rescue plan. It's half of his, but they're coming to the White House to talk about it, and that's where we'll begin. They're going to come and they're going to talk. Bernie Sanders says it's impossible. I don't think so. Listen to Brian Deese, the White House, uh, the White House counsel. Uh, cut five. We've been engaging with members of Congress from both parties and both houses over the course of the last week or two. We'll continue to do that as we go forward. And the president has said repeatedly he is open to ideas wherever they may come that we could improve upon the approach to actually tackling this crisis. But he hasn't even asked. And that's the problem. That's why Republicans said, OK, this is bad. The executive orders are astoundingly awful. Uh, they are killing jobs and an agenda. But let's not make it personal. It is still too early. Maybe we can rescue this presidency. So they put together their plan, $600 billion. And then Susan Collins, I understand, uh, picked up the phone and said, Mr. President, you, what do you think? You know me. I know you. You're going to need to work with me to get these 60 votes at some point. And he said, why don't you come by and bring everybody? 
So they have $160 billion for vaccine development, uh, $4 billion to bolster behavior. Uh, they're talking about substance abuse and uh, alcohol abuse. $20 billion for schools, okay? A round of targeted economic impact payments, about $1,000. But income caps would just get to people that need it most. Additional resources toward the Paycheck Protection Program, which keeps businesses afloat. A letter from the GOP senators to the White House had this all spelled out. Now, are they happy with it? Probably not. Are they saying this is more than the start? They better because they just got $900 billion and you haven't spent the last $900 billion. I have hope for this. I do. Because Joe Manchin, I think, is for real. He's the reason that they got the $900 billion before Trump left. And he is saying, deal with me. And yet Kamala Harris goes on in West Virginia to try to plead her case about not dealing with Republicans. This is one of the most Republican states in the country. Manchin sees it and said this, cut four. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. No one called me. We're going to try to find a bipartisan pathway for it. I think we need to, but we need to work together. That's not a way of working together. I know it isn't. Not at all. So what is the deal? What is the state of the virus? I told you about deaths going down. Listen to these numbers. And almost every state is going down. The smallest, actually, New York, what I'm in. South Dakota down 75%. California, 27%. Illinois, 50%. Iowa down 70%. Overall, hospitalizations down 24%. Cases, 40% over the last two months. 33% over the last two weeks. Deaths are down 5%, but that's lagging. Now, I'm worried about the variants. You're worried about the variants. But so far, the vaccine handles it. Dr. Scott Lieb is as good as it gets. CBS Smart enough to sign him, former FDA commissioner with lines into and for a while worked for Donald Trump. Cut 18. I think we have the potential to turn a corner. Things are clearly improving around the country. We can't take our foot off the brake too quickly in terms of the things that people are doing, like wearing masks and being more vigilant. That's really probably what's bringing down infection rates across the country right now. The new variants create a lot of risk. I think that the risk is that what you're going to see over the summertime is, whereas the summer should have been very quiet, coronavirus should have really dissipated, in part because of the seasonal backstop, in part because we've infected a third of the population, and in part because we're immunizing more people. So coronavirus levels should have really come down this summer. You might see higher prevalence than what you would have expected, but what's going to likely happen is that the prevalence is going to be high in certain regional hotspots. So we'll have hotspots of infection and maybe epidemics in parts of Florida, parts of Southern California, because of B117. They'll never really get out of it. But the rest of the country will see prevalence come down. Yeah, I hope so. And that's what I thought. Look, I'm far from an expert in this area, but let's just use logic. You're vaccinating people, 7% of the population. We're getting there. We're as good as anybody. The U.K. slightly better. Smaller country, clearly. Next, we are also getting this and beating it for a high number. So you got millions who got it and beat it. Then they have the antibodies for about a year. You figure that in along with people who, are, who are, seem to be not susceptible to it. All of a sudden, a lot of the population is getting protected. And maybe we could start going out and working again. Meanwhile, the other big story that makes no sense is not playing sports and not going to school. In Chicago, arguably the worst. Mayor Lightfoot, a a radical left liberal, has ordered all Chicago public school teachers who don't have permission to stay home due to medical concerns to come back to the classroom today, setting up a potential lockout that would spur a teacher strike because they do not want to go to school. So they do not want to do their job, even though everything has been done in virtually every public school. So here is uh, the what the teachers union tweeted out to Lightfoot. They said they're still evaluating. Uh, the, the, this is what the union wrote. They tweeted this out. 
Uh, the CPS bargaining team was instructed not to attend negotiations today unless our teachers, clinicians, and nurses and librarians and other rank-and-file educators were prepared to make major concessions. Fact check. Chicago uh, schools tweeted this out. Our bargaining team was told by the CTU leadership that they were unavailable to meet until they could develop a response to our most recent offer. Our team has been standing by all day. Uh, this uh, signed the uh, Chicago Teachers Union. Come on, guys. Are you kidding? Grow up. Life is full of risks. If you feel as though you have a condition that has you truly worried, I understand that. But if not, get to work. 23. Janice Jackson, who is the CEO of the public Chicago Public Schools. As a school system, we're starting to see some of the effects of schools being closed. Uh, many of our students um, aren't logging on. Um, we are seeing uh, African-American and Latinx students in particular being especially hard hit. We have a solid plan in place that goes above and beyond the guidance that we've heard from um, city as well as CDC officials. And we believe that we can safely reopen. And we've been open for three weeks or we have been open for three weeks with a great degree of success. So the time is now for students to return to the classroom. So uh, I feel your frustration. It's rare in a liberal city like that to do it. You don't have it here. They just knuckle under. Uh, we're going to talk about bipartisanship coming together, more about schools and what you're experiencing. one 408 The numbers are stunning. The suicide rates are going up. Life is full of risk. We understand this by now. It has been a year. Get back to school and sports. Uh, we're going to come back and talk to Adam Goodman. He wrote a column about coming together. Uh, can both sides do it? Have we done it before? Compromise isn't a dirty word. We'll talk about it. Then Brett Baer and then you again. one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News, a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Bernie Sanders, head of the budget committee for the Democrats. He says he doesn't care if he gets one Republican vote. Uh, they don't care about I mean, think about it. Do you think Bernie Sanders cares how big the budget is? How much, how high your taxes are going to have to go? Uh, what's going to happen when we can't pay off this debt? What's going to happen to our interest expense? No, he doesn't care. He just wants to spend money. And that is uh, Senator Rick Scott frustrated because Bernie Sanders spent the whole morning saying, uh, if Republicans want to sign on, fine, but they have no good ideas. Uh, that really discourages perhaps Adam Goodman. But like me, I believe that there was a good sign when 10 Republicans put together a, a counteroffer and then called up President Biden, and he invited him over. Adam Goodman's a national uh, Republican media strategist and columnist. Adam, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you. Great to be with you from Florida, actually, as opposed to New York. Yeah, you know what's amazing, too, is like everyone's going to Florida to get a vaccine. Everyone's going to live there. They destroy their states, and they try to fight to your state. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that if you're Governor DeSantis or any one of us who— are awesomely you know, into welcoming everyone who wants to come south and live a better life. That's what they said in Georgia, and it turned it blue. That's what they said in Texas, True. and they're within five points of losing Texas. But, Adam, talk about compromise, and do you see it? I was so discouraged. I knew it was going to be Mr. Unity. I knew that. But I never thought there was going to be 41 executive orders and losing uh, tens of thousands of jobs on a theory on green energy. But then this happened yesterday. They gave me a little bit more hope. Tell me how you feel. 
Well, uh, you, you remember the old uh, movie in The Magnificent Seven with Yul Brenner and Charles Bronson? Well, I'm hoping that we're now looking at the Titanic 10 with Tillis and Cassidy and Susan Collins and Bitt and the others. Um, I'm hopeful that they've really kind of called the president on his uh, on his words and maybe, you know, hopefully not bluff about unity because, you know, Brian, rhetoric is easy, but actions are incredibly difficult. Uh, and yet here in America, there is a long history of how we've taken action and done big things, bold things, life changing things by compromise as opposed to going at each other uh, as if we were sworn life lifelong enemies uh, that have to be vanquished as opposed to listened to. And when you talk, when I heard the clip from Bernie Sanders about Bernie Sanders, uh, it, it, it kind of plays into that. And Americans uh, in, the, in 2020, Brian, they voted not left or right. They voted forward. Let's get stuff done. And uh, all eyes right now are on that meeting uh, of those 10 Republican senators in the White House. Let's see if the president, 41 presidential directives in, if he actually is going to start living up to the very words he wants us to to live up by and, as well. And like, look, you know, uh, Adam, you say they, they brought up a great point. You still have $1.8 trillion left, and you're saying it's an emergency to get another $1.9. So he's saying, okay, the Republicans go, here's $4 billion to bolster uh, for substance abuse and alcohol abuse because of what's happened over the last year. We need it. $160 billion to vaccine development. Who can argue with that? $20 billion for schools. It depends on what's left, and they want to have more targeted giving checks to people. They want to make sure it's checks to people that need it because we're doing this all on debt. So the 10 senators include Susan Collins, includes uh, Senator Campbell, includes uh, Lisa Murkowski, uh, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia. And Mike Rounds of uh, of South Dakota, so they're going to be making their way to Capitol Hill. What do you know about? Excuse me, to the White House. What do you know about Joe Biden and how we might well, handle this in the past? Well, it's very interesting because Joe Biden right now is of two minds. One is that Joe Biden from twenty, thirty, forty years ago ago we grew up in a United States Senate where uh, the idea of getting along with each other doing things uh, to compromise for the greater good were not foreign creatures. They were actually ways of, of behavior that everyone or most people in the Senate will kind of measure up to. The, the Joe Biden of now is a Joe Biden who's a creature of the increasing you know, uh, partisan rancor, uh, and he has to try to struggle with rec- reconciling what he was, what he is as a uh, – to, together, you know, with where America wants to or needs to head, I think he's had, has a very difficult kind of internal fight going on with himself about which way to fly because he really wants, I think, there to be a sense of America pulling together. But boy, forty-one directives in uh, the oil and gas thing, by the way, which was horrendous. You're talking about, you know, eleven thousand jobs immediately lost in an industry that employs 10 million Americans, it it was absolutely the wrong signal. I think he felt, well, I'll play politics with that, and maybe I can kind of come back around the the other corner and show America that I really meant it when I said we have to pull together. I'm really concerned that uh, for a person who should be, you might say, a creature of history, uh, Joe Biden, that he hasn't learned from it. That worries me. And no one ever said he was the brightest guy anyway, and no one ever thinks he has his fastball. I hope he has a sinker. Jared Bernstein uh, was on with uh, Chris Wallace, and Chris Wallace, as promised, was very direct with him about what this whole 
killing the XL pipeline meant. Listen to this. Cut 29. The governor says that when the president signed that executive order, the workers on the Keystone pipeline packed up their lunch pails and went home. Look, we, we haven't had the Keystone pipeline in place for a long time, and we certainly had you know, a very low unemployment rate before the crisis hit. The key to getting back to robust job opportunities is to cease any delay, any inaction, any failure to negotiate, any wait and see around this rescue plan, because this rescue plan is of a magnitude, and that's so important because you questioned the top line number, is of a magnitude to get us to the other side of this fiscal crisis so we can finally and reliably launch a robust economic recovery. He didn't answer the question. Why did you kill jobs en route to trying to save an economy? And you want $1.9 trillion to pay those people not to work? You know, you know uh, Brian, go back to October 22nd, 2020. That was the final debate between uh, President Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, that's where the real news was made, when Biden really stepped in it and was kind of on all sides of the fracking issue in oil and gas. Then that night, tried to do damage control. Uh, but now we see that he's in control of doing damage. And the damage he's doing is to an American industry that employs over 10 million uh, Americans. That is a reason, one of the biggest reasons we have energy independence from all those years of having to, to play at the beck and call of OPEC. And now he's in, in an effort to try to appease the liberal left. He is trying to, to say, well, you know, I understand there'll be a little dislocation, but we have, you know, all this new energy uh, related you know, industries and jobs coming online, they're not ready to come online. They're not coming online t- today, tomorrow, next week, next month. We and these it. are high-paying jobs, by the way, for a lot of people. Families depend on it. I think it was a reckless play uh, to the liberal left. And by the way, Brian, he's put in, in, the, in the play as well moderate congressional Democrats in energy-producing states. I know. People like small and the Republic And Adam, I have Gonzalez. to end it there because we're up against a break. But if they were smart, they'd stop fighting each other and take that issue on. Adam Goodman from Florida, National Republican Media Strategist and Columnist. Thanks so much. Brett Baer next. The new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Does anyone really believe that... uh, John Kerry or President Biden or the powers to be really truly under understand what's going on in the energy sector of this country. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's bad enough that the country's divided in a lot of different directions today. And we better we better reach back and pull our, you know, head out of our, you know, what and, 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 and get ourselves back together and have some real rational thinking. But but if you'll just if you'll just step back and think about this, West Virginia embraces the alternative energies and but we are smart enough to realize and this country should realize that we can't do without coal and gas today i mean absolutely we're going to go from energy independence to dependence that could very well cause chaos in a lot of different situations uh that was jim justice uh, governor of west virginia talking about a myriad of things one of which uh, was the energy sector, how uh, some of the rules put out there, executive orders put out there by Joe Biden is going to affect his people and also 
taking some pleasant questions about how he has done better than anybody else in the country, his state, about issuing the vaccine. Joining us now, Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Kind of rattled a lot of these energy sectors and energy states with the uh, getting rid of the XL pipeline to stop the new drilling leases on federal land. Do you get that sense that uh, the Biden uh, the Biden team knew exactly what they were doing? Um, I, I do think they planned it. You know, I, I think these executive orders were cooked in the books long before Inauguration Day uh, in the rollout. Uh, but as far as the impact, uh, I'm not sure it's totally uh, planned out. You know, a lot of these sectors have been thriving, and obviously concern about climate change is one thing, but also energy independence is another thing. And, you know, John Kerry, in his pitch that, you know, transitioning to um, to other jobs, that like uh, solar jobs, just did not sound the the pitch of bipartisanship uh, as far as these communities. It was terrible. Get a solar it was job. absolutely terrible. And, and he so, also, to Brett, didn't he also come out and say, I know if we do everything we're supposed to, it's still not going to have an effect on anything? Yeah, it's something similar to that. Yeah. And, you know, so the messaging just kind of hit the wrong tone, I think, for a lot of those people in the energy industry. Now, on the left, they would say, hey, listen, it's time to start moving in the direction. Um, but the question is, how fast and how do you do it without hurting the economy that's already feeling the real pinch from the coronavirus? I think one of the political things from the weekend was Kamala Harris doing an interview in West Virginia, uh, trying to essentially put the pinch on Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, on the budget resolution. And um, she goes in t- and does this local, you know, interview, TV interview, uh, and is trying to move people. And she says, you know, a lot of West Virginians are concerned about landmines. And she meant to say mining lands, but the whole thing came off as ham-handed politically. Uh, and Joe Manchin comes out and says, they didn't tell me about it. Uh, I didn't know it was coming. And this is not the way to go about bipartisan solutions. So I don't think it's gone politically that great off the start. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. No one called me. We're going to try to find a bipartisan pathway for it. I think we need to. But we need to work together. That's not a way of working together. So, so Brett, you know, he's the one who put together the conference call that started working on a $900 billion package that ultimately passed during the Trump years, right? So he was right. doing it again, and now these 10 Republicans, tired of waiting, put together their own proposal, $600 billion. Uh, I'm not sure. Is Joe Biden going to meet with the 10 Republicans today or just this week? He is. So today. today. This evening. Um, and we hope to have Senator Shelley Moore Capito on special report right after that meeting from the North Lawn of the White House. So what do you think? Uh, to kind of get in. I mean, it, it's, it's only about $600 billion is the Republican package. $1.9 is the Democratic ask. Do you think, do, you think they're going to really come to the table on both sides? No, I don't. I think that that is, you know, the fact that Biden is meeting with them, positive step. But I think Democrats really, truly believe that the only way they're going to do this is without um, Republicans. The problem is, is Joe Manchin is their 51 Right. That's the vote that they need. The other problem is, is that Mark Warner from Virginia is quarantined for 10 days. 
So unless you're going to put him in a spacesuit into the Senate, uh, you're down wow. another vote. So it's all about math. You know, Chad Pergram up on Capitol Hill says it's math, math, math. Um, you've got two possible down. You know, Manchin looks like a no right now, and Warner is out. I think Republicans would have to look at totally unreasonable for Manchin to say yes. They ha- And with Rob Portman there, uh, who is not like that, and you have uh, Senator Bill Cassidy is not like that, and a doctor— and Susan Collins, who's not like that, they're not going to say no. Uh, they're not going to say I'm not willing to negotiate. They're not going to say I'm not. I don't want anything in your 1.9 trillion dollars. I, I just no, don't think they, they don't too. profile that way. Exactly. So Manchin is saying I'm at 900. They're at 600. You're at 1.9. Let's figure out a place to call home. And that's what the Senate usually used to do. It hasn't done it in a long time. So uh, the other the other big story this week is, uh, well, coming up next week, next Monday will be the beginning of the impeachment trial for the president. Not a good sign that he he uh, parted with his his legal team over the weekend. No, I mean, by all reports, the legal team that he had uh, was frustrated by the guidance that they were being given by their client uh, that he wanted to fight the battle of the election. And uh, Rudy Giuliani is, you know, intimately wanting to do that, too. He's not going to be lead counsel or anything, but um, but that's the breakup, apparently. And uh, they wanted to talk about the constitutionality of of impeaching a a private citizen. um, And that was not good enough. So I don't know how this is going to go down and it's going to be fascinating one way or another. But uh, what's happening this week on this budget resolution really will set the table, I think, for next week. Republicans know that they're in a good position numbers-wise, but they're not in a great position as far as how the argument's going to go. Right. Uh, evidently, if I'm to believe the reports, they are where Democrats working around the clock to bring up all types of video and angles and weave in the speech on video and create a whole body, a lot of emotion through this. For Republicans, uh, they want to say it's it's not constitutional. Why are we even doing this? It's a waste of time. They do not want to get into the merits of it. Do you could do you believe those mutual uh, assessments of the strategies? I do. I mean, just talking to the people behind the scenes. I mean, that's that's where the happy place is for a lot of Republicans is not to relitigate the election, but to talk about the process and the constitutionality. And that is a place that they're comfortable with. Um, this it's not a place uh, to go down the you know. What was said specifically, substantively, and and the linkage to what happened with the mob on Capitol Hill. So interesting that uh, if it's true that Donald Trump wants to prove there was election fraud, he will lose a lot of Republicans, and that said it's unconstitutional. That would be a trouble, a troublesome spot for him, but probably welcome for Democrats because that seems to be a winning issue for them. Yeah, I don't know if even there you get to seventeen. You know, maybe you picked up 10. Um, so, again, we're back to math. And um, But as far as a, as a talking point for Democrats, that would be a win. Um, Republicans would love to fight on the process and be over with it in three days. Here is what Governor Asa Hutchinson said, used to be in the House, uh, uh, the Republican from Arizona governor. Cut 36. The Senate trial is going to refocus what happened on the attack on the Capitol 
and it's going to call all Republicans to take a position more clearly. Uh, President Trump has helped build the party in the last four years. I hope he does not help to destroy the party in the coming four years. And we need to have a level of accountability. Uh, we also uh, need to make sure that we don't tear ourselves apart as we go into uh, the midterm elections uh, next next year and beyond that. Uh, well, that's what he hopes for. He wouldn't. They would try to get him to condemn the president. But I am really stunned how, how Matt Gates is over in Wyoming to calling out Liz Cheney. Uh, I am stunned what's going on with Republicans. They have so much, so many reasons to unite. And they're going after Liz Cheney or anybody that voted to impeach the president? Is that smart? No, come on. Politically, that is the dumbest thing ever to to do with somebody who is, you know, you want to keep your majority. Now, they're trying to purify from a Trump perspective the majority. Um, but, you know, it is fair to say at the same time all that is happening – Marjorie Taylor Greene is under attack and might lose her committee seat because Nancy Pelosi wants to vote to take her off a committee, and Republicans have not addressed it or talked about it. And, you know, Kevin McCarthy says he's going to talk to her, but he talked to Steve King. He hasn't talked to her yet. We'll see what happens this Yeah, the, the, the congressman from Iowa, no longer a congressman. Brett, let's talk about your events coming up. On, on, it's going to be virtual. The all-star panel event benefiting the Children's National Hospital, the nation's premier children's hospital, is taking place on February 13th, 2020. Uh, it is now going to be free, and there's going to be a place to bid on uh, different items and different events. So uh, I made the cut again for the second year in a row. I'm thrilled to do it. Shannon Bream, Charles Payne, Emily Campagno, who just got named co-host of Outnumbered. I don't know if this is linked at all. Uh, but I think it was. It was, and I'll be on outnumbered in 15 minutes. So this going to be that's Fantastic. another link. So, so there was a change last week. Go to www.allstarpanelevent.com and do what? And you just register, and um, the link will go live for the panel event on um, February 13th. But the auction, which is a silent auction, starts. You can look at it. Um, Look at the items by going to allstarpanelevent.com. But the auction itself starts on 210, February 10th, and it'll go to close of business on the 15th. So there's amazing stuff in there, like Zoom calls with your favorite you know, TV hosts like Brian Kilby and his signed books, or Greg Gutfeld, or Jim Nance will do your cell phone message, or you know, Rascal Flatts is going to sing a song stuff that uh, you just can't get anyplace else. So it's a lot of fun, and all the dollars go directly to Children's National, the hospital that saved my son. Yeah, and uh, you know, he just went through a long heart surgery, and how's he doing? He's awesome. Uh, he is now with a buddy uh, playing basketball, and uh, wow. so he has made a full full recovery. We're getting ready to um, we're getting ready to do full golf swing next week if we get to someplace that is warm enough. Yes, uh, that's going to be tough. I know you're not. If you're in Washington or New York, you're not doing that. Hey, Brett, I look forward to it. It's coming up soon. Uh, and I look yeah. forward to watching you tonight. Six o'clock special report. Sounds good. See you, Brett. You got it. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out if it's truly more to know. And then at the top of the hour on Outnumbered on television, I got some extra makeup. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Tom is the ultimate version of Hollywood. I saw his draft 
you know, you know how they gotta run and do all that. I saw his tape for the first time a couple couple months ago. And I couldn't believe that. You can just tell that he, he worked hard. He didn't believe all the naysayers. Uh, he just continued to persevere. He's, he's a consummate professionalist, and he does the thing the right way. And he will go down in the history books, and it's just fun to watch. That's Shaquille O'Neal promoting the Shaq Bowl. It's going to be next weekend, even in this uh, pandemic year at the Super Bowl when no one's really going, only 20,000 tickets sold. Talking about the respect he has for the sixth-round draft pick out of Michigan, who didn't even start really uh, for all four years. He has part-time starter both times, uh, cut with two high-profile quarterbacks, Brian Greasy and Drew Henson. But Shaquille O'Neal saying, I'm really impressed, judging by the athlete he is. It just reminds me, I'm just wondering, is there indeed more to know? More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. And by the way, that wasn't all Shaq said. Shaq also called out the Patriots on TMZ. The way he's came in, and you know, this is his 10th Super Bowl, and one played with a franchise, and then the franchise kind of, oh, you're old, bye. And he says, okay, you don't want to take care of me after all I did for the city? Watch this. Go to another city, promise him a Super Bowl, and delivers. But I don't know if that's exactly how it went down, right? I mean, he wanted to go. He thought it was time, and he wanted to keep playing at 43, which no one's ever done. No, exactly. But at the same time, if he stayed with the Patriots, would they be in the Super no, Bowl this year? absolutely not. They don't have any talent this year. They had four key players at least say they don't want to play in the pandemic. So he would have struggled this year, and they would have said Tom Brady shot, and he would have been done. So he made the, another great move for himself. He did. And like, now you look back, and you, it sounds like a great storyline, so, the way Shaq said And you said know it. his personal life? So he starts dating Giselle Bunchen. Two months later, his ex-girlfriend, Bridget uh, Moynihan. Moynihan, says she's pregnant. So you talk about tension. I mean, think about that. I don't have to tell you. We're, we're, with relationship kind of tension, she's like, I'm going to stick with him. You know, we had no idea. Who knows what the details are. But now they all get along. And the son is 14 years old, and he's a, evidently a, like a blossoming football star. And they're unbelievably tight. And okay. even that worked out. Even that worked out for Tom Brady. Well, I mean, then I think that also goes to show that he must be a good person, right? Because you can't be a total jerk and have right. you know, your ex still say nice things about you. It takes all four. <laughs> it takes all four to get along. Next. Next day, anxiety causing millions of Americans to struggle falling asleep each night. One poll that was studied, they looked at 2,000 Americans. They find four in 10, 41% are up all night due to next day anxiety. Nearly two-thirds of Americans, 62%, struggle to fall asleep, along with anxiety about the future, replaying the past day's events, 37%, or being too cold or too hot, 31%, or having too much caffeine before bed, 28%. Does that surprise you? Honestly, I think, no, no. But here's the thing: I would say next day anxiety pre-pandemic, but during the pandemic, can you not fall asleep because just you're not doing as much and you're sitting at home more, and so you have yeah, you, know, you haven't burned you're not off burning off your energy. Yeah. Okay. The other thing: several respondents even named other factors such as feeling uncomfortable in bed, being too itchy, or having a fear of nightmares as the reason. One hundred one respondents said their dogs are to blame for keeping them up. Only seventy-seven blamed their cats. As a dog and a cat owner, I feel like it could go 50-50. Sometimes the dog barks, but sometimes the cat's just on you and wants to be pet at right. 3 in the morning. That's a lot. We're talking about a lot more about pets than Thank I actually you. thought. <laughs> Next, Zombie Nation. A third of all adults walking around in a, concu- <laughs> in a concussion-like daze due to stress and a lack of sleep. A survey of 31,000 people shows insufficient sleep 
mental health problems and stress were the cause of a whole lot of symptoms. It comes back to sleep again. We always do these sleep studies for people who are working in the mornings. I, the sleep studies really do not sound good for you, Brian. <laughs> like right, no. Seven straight hours. And, I, and I have every symptom, right? I forget the stupidest things. You also remember a lot. Yeah. You <laughs> I guess before I got the morning show, I remember everything that happened before <laughs> 1997. Uh, next, most women would rather spend lockdown with their best friend than their romantic partner. Don't answer this, uh, Allison. Uh, there was a survey of 2,000 American women. 56% said they'd rather be trapped with their best female friend. Wow. That's, they remain anonymous they, right now. They do. So should you. Do not say anything. I'm not saying a word. All right, good. So we, everyone's okay. Your best friends are okay, and your spouse is okay. We're all, we're all good. Everyone's right. happy. Except for the people stuck at work, at home, in the snowstorm. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.